Hey, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 13th day of April 2023. Glorious Thursday. Oh, man, it's a yawn. What a perfect time to yawn. It's uh, been beautiful weather here. It's supposed to get a little chillier and maybe wet on the weekend, but, man, when you get a day like these in the non-humid 80s, you can't complain. Anyway, I appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing. We've got tons of stuff to get to absurdity up the wazoo man and what people stick up their wazoo i don't normally care about but when it's absurdity it tends to come out you stick it up the wazoo and it comes out the mouth but uh check out please if you would patreon.com slash derek hunter podcast or derek hunter.locals.com support the program it's the only support we get and it's really the only support we need so we appreciate it because you guys are great uh you can enter to win autographed books all kind of giving away Donald Trump signed book, Ivanka Trump signed book, uh, damn near everybody you can possibly imagine in the realm of politics. Also, uh, this week's contest is between a former governor and a former, I think late, I think she's gone, uh, Supreme Court Justice. It is Mike Huckabee versus Sandra Day O'Connor. Somebody's going to win an autographed book by one of those two. Why not you? Five bucks for a whole month. For the love of God, what do you, you get bonus content? I don't know what more you want. I'll give you a foot rub. Would that do it? I'm not going to touch your feet. Sorry, I'm not going to touch your feet. But it's the same thing. Think of this as a self foot rub. Check it out, please. Support the show, if you will. Now let's get started. Like I say, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world today. I wanted to talk about this yesterday, but I ran out of time. But it, I do love it. I do love it so when liberalism comes back to bite liberals on their uh, their rear ends or whatever they tuck back that way. This is from the San Francisco Standard. There's nothing more liberal. You know, I, I love going to Whole Foods. I don't go to Whole Foods very often. There isn't a Whole Foods near where we live. I, I think there's one in, in the, the city. We're sort of a suburb of, but we got a, a Safeway like two miles away, so there's no point in driving. You know what I really want to do is I want to drive for a good half an hour to overpay for food. That's what I want. So I don't go there. Never have gone there since we've lived here. It was usually only on a case. I do like the Whole Foods prepared food buffet thing that they have that's pretty good most of the time i don't know i haven't been in a whole foods in a long time since covid so maybe they don't have as much as they used to but uh got really bad food poisoning once god it was uncontrollable all directions just terrible they gave me a because uh, i bought something from there i think it was the I think it was a macaroni salad or something anyway i got violently ill and they gave me a 50 dollars gift card which, you know, was nice. wasn't worth it. wasn't I would have much rather not spent three days vomiting. But you know, for fifty bucks, eh, maybe a hundred bucks, I would have vomited for three days. But I uh, do like look. It's food porn to just walk through the meat department of a Whole Foods. It's also kind of food porn to walk through the produce department. It's a nice looking produce department. It's presented well 
It is weird. There's this whole industry of like ugly fruit. There is actually something called ugly fruit, but of fruit that is aesthetically unpleasing. And you can see the lefties are all like, oh, we've got to be environmentally sound. We can't waste food. We can't do this. We can't do the, oh, that apple is misshapen. Throw it away. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Yeah, that asparagus is displeasing to my eye. It'll taste exactly the same and nobody will know any difference, but throw it away. Get rid of it. There's businesses where you can buy the ugly deformed fruit and uh, you should. It's, it's fruit and vegetables. But you'll never find anything that looks, you know, a, a misshapen tomato with like one of those weird growths off the side, like a goiter, a tomato with a goiter. You'll never see that at a Whole Foods. You should. They're all lefties. It's environmentally sound. It's perfectly edible, but whatever. That being said, anyway, I just love how li- liberals love their Whole Foods. Well, in San Francisco... They don't love it all that much, or it's going to love them back a little bit less. One of the largest supermarkets in downtown San Francisco, the Whole Foods Market at 8th and Market Streets. Market Street's a big deal in San Francisco. It's one of the main drags. Intends to shut down at the close of Business Monday, just a little more than a year after the store opened, company officials told the Standard. Quote, we're closing our Trinity location only for the time being, a Whole Foods spokesperson said in a statement, quote, if we feel we can ensure the safety of our team members in the store, we will evaluate a reopening of our Trinity location, end quote. <laughs> what? what does that mean? Hey, we're closing, so you're still going to have employees in there? Or is everybody losing their job? If we think we can... You're never going to be... San Francisco doesn't care about law and order. Democrats don't care about law and order. They might care because this is a wealthy area. Most of the city government is pretty wealthy. They live... A lot of them live in that area, government officials, and they love their Whole Foods. So maybe they'll go, all right, we'll increase the police presence just around this area. A city hall source told The Standard the company cited deteriorating street conditions around drug use and crime near the grocery store as a reason for its closure. Since the start of the pandemic, downtown has suffered a massive loss in foot traffic due to remote work. Many small businesses have shuttered, while examples of extreme poverty, drug use, and mental illness on the streets have become more apparent. Now, I love how they don't even try to pretend it's more, they, they've really cropped up. It's really starting. No, more apparent. There's not more of it. You're just noticing it more. We've been crazy. Our city streets have been covered in feces for a long time. It's tempting and easy to say, well, this is a response to, co- this happened because of COVID, but realistically, no. This happened because Democrats are in charge of the city, and this is what they do. They don't do, they look at it as, um, victimless crime, quality of life issues. We can't focus on that. If you do the broken windows theory of policing the way that Rudy Giuliani did in New York when he took over a crime-ridden New York City from Mayor David Dinkins, if you do that, you might actually improve the quality of life of its citizens. And yuck, who wants that? Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) 
Fears of a doom loop in which a cascade of negative financial impacts compound have spread across the city, and City Hall officials currently expect a nearly $800 million deficit in San Francisco's budget. Now, let me just read that, la- that number part about an $800 million deficit in San Francisco's budget, yet they're plowing ahead with reparations. Because why? Because why not? Look, you, a lot of people will look at liberal cities and go, how do people live like that? What are people doing? And liberal states, they go, what? It's a, just a, a, it is a recipe for disaster what's going on out in California. And then you realize that if you live in a liberal state, there's a fairly decent chance that you're adopting the same, say, environmental standards where you got to sell nothing but electric vehicles in, in 12 years. And you go, wait a second. You can laugh at California and go, look at those idiots. They're ruining. No, liberalism is ruining where you live, too. They are. They just don't advertise it. They don't pass a bill that says we need to sell only electric vehicles uh, by 2035. They say we're going to peg our environmental standards to California. And they hide that, what that means from people. And the dishonest media is on board, too. They're not going to point it out to anybody. So you end up with a situation where you're, you're laughing at somebody as their boat sinks while the people on your boat are drilling giant holes in the side of it. And you go, oh, who's the joke really on there? Who's the joke really on there? But they don't care because the problem most conservatives and normal people have is they look at the situation in a San Francisco or the situation in Chicago or Baltimore, Philadelphia, Detroit, and you think sooner, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too, sooner or later something will happen where people will, the people will rise up and go, no more. They're not going to elect a Republican. They're not smart enough to elect a Republican and do the Rudy Giuliani routine, but they, there will come a savior. One day, the Democratic Party, who says, law and order, support the police, put criminals in jail. I don't care about the uh, demography of citizens in jail. They're just criminals. Let's get You'd think that would happen. Businesses are closing. We must do something about this to make our city more resident-friendly, more law-abiding resident-friendly, and thereby more business-friendly. You'd think that would be something that would happen, but you would be wrong because you're working on a flawed premise. You're working on the premise that you believe that ultimately these people in power want good things. They don't. They want the destruction of capitalism. They want to damage the United States of America. You, No one will be on board with, quote, fundamentally transforming the United States of America, end quote, if things are going well. They need things to go as poorly as possible in order to reform and rebuild and remake the city, the state, the country the way they want it to be. Hitler needed the Reichstag to burn to get the powers he ultimately needed to commit his atrocities and seize full power. He might have been able to get there otherwise, but he's the one who is trying to make a case. 
and he wasn't somebody noted for their patience. Neither are today's progressives. The former progressives in Nazi Germany were not sitting around going, well, if we just, we're going to run a serious radio campaign and try to convince people that our way is the right way. No. An emergency came along. The collapse, the government, the physical being, the Reichstag burned to the ground. It was a terrorist attack, probably by communists. We must have emergency powers in the chancellor so he can save the republic. Same sort of thing here. These cities are continuing to get worse and deteriorate and deteriorate. Normally, in a rational world, Gavin Newsom, who once was the mayor of San Francisco and should know this very well, would be critical of the people in San Francisco, the charge people in charge of San Francisco. And if they refuse to do anything about the rampant crime and the murder and the attacks on the streets and everything, the drug use, then he would come in and use emergency powers as governor to come in and clean it up and say, look, you got to do this. This is decent. You're, you're screwing over and harming Californians. You're harming your San Franciscans. A normal situation would have that happen. A Republican governor probably would have done it by now, and things would have been righted. But Gavin Newsom spends his time in Florida, criticizing the governor of Florida. There are no stories of the streets of Orlando. Oh, look at the crime-riddled, oh yeah, when there's spring breakers from everywhere else, but the crime-riddled, drug-addled streets of Miami, where feces dots the countryside. No, you don't hear that. Why is that? Same types of human beings live in both places, in both states. They have similar temperatures, probably more humid in, in Florida, but otherwise, they're the same. Florida has a very large population. California has a massive population. The only difference is the leadership the leadership, the mentality of the leadership. They can sit there and say, well, Whole Foods is closing. This is indicative of all sorts of problems. You know, they're, they're not naturally occurring problems. They are slivers that if picked out, would be you'd be healed from it by now, but they're left in there that they get to infect. And then they become sepsis. And then drastic measures have to be taken. The Democrats are living for those drastic measures. Not in San Francisco, not in California per se, but they can damage the whole country out there because San Francisco with the tech industry and California with its population and its economy can't damage the whole country. To solve a problem, you have to care about it. Democrats look at problems, genuine problems, and see opportunities. There's no opportunity for them, anyway, in solving these problems, so they don't even try. By the way, speaking of um, phony progressives, phony Democrats, I, I discovered this this morning, that the, the Tennessee, they're still trying to make heroes and martyrs out of the Tennessee, too. Oh, my God. The Tennessee, too. The left loves alliteration. The Tennessee, too. Heil Hitler and things like that. They just love that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, 
one of the two Justins. Justin Jones is back in the state legislature in Tennessee already, and Justin Pearson will be soon. Well, Justin Pearson talks now. If you listen to the guy talk, you just sit there and you go, this guy is doing a poor man's impersonation of Denzel Washington doing Malcolm X. It's really kind of sad and funny watching this guy talk in interviews and whatever. This is how to, like, oh, I will not be there. It's a little bit of a a poor man's uh, Martin Luther King, too. So, well, let me just give you an example of how Justin Pearson talks today. Seemed like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win. But oh, that was good news for us. I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last. But oh, we have good news, folks. We've got good news that Sunday always comes. Oh, yes, I might not get that with you, ladies and gentlemen. But oh, boy, howdy, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Blah, 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 blah. This is how he, he, it's not as loud when he's giving interviews, but this is how he speaks. And you think, that's a really weird, like if I heard somebody talk like that anywhere, I'd think they're, God, they're fake. God, they're phony. Like what, what's wrong with this person? This is so phony. Come on, man. Give it a rest. Like Hillary Clinton, when she gives a speech, oh, uh, she sounds like she's condescending to a group of kindergartners. That's why people recoil and horror but she doesn't give her i am horrible at delivering speeches voice for everything she doesn't do her horrible speech voice with everything when she gives interviews she just speaks more normally still a horrible person but you get the idea well this emerged this morning at least to me it's probably been floating around out there and i can't imagine the people who knew Justin Pearson, when he was in college, um, they had to have seen this. They had to have known this. So when he was in college, he ran for student government. And he's a young guy, so there's obviously you film commercials and things. You, you go through the whole rigmarole. Keep in mind, you just heard, well, Martin Luther King, I have a dream essentially today, and Malcolm X all mashed together to well now justin pearson has long a, a nice nice looking afro he's got a nice looking head of hair back in college he was a clean shaven head guy you almost think like because most people who shave their heads are like balding or something and they're trying to pretend we, we're on to you by the way we get it we know we're not judging we're just saying you don't have to do whatever you want but um back in college his head was shaved, clean, and Justin Pearson sounded a lot like this. Justin J. Pearson, and I'm running for president of BSG. There are a few reasons that we're running this campaign this year. One has to do with representation. How can we represent all voices in a conversation? I wanted to do this by partnering with organizations from the Boone Democrats to the Boone Republicans. I want to bring together different voices, dissenting voices, voices that may be more liberal or more conservative, in order that we can reach a point of sort of the radical middle. 
Oh, well, that doesn't sound like that at all. What is going on? That's a little bit... It's almost like this guy's full of crap and playing a role, right? Now, maybe I suppose he'd been radicalized at some point in his life or something like that, but I highly doubt it. You just realize that there is money and power. There, Look, most politicians caricature successful other successful politicians <laughs> they don't really but uh, it's not often that stark because it's not just like you do that in speeches but when you're giving an interview you're not like you're preaching to a, a whole bunch of people you're, you're not like you're giving a sermon you, you talk like a normal human justin pearson doesn't really do he certainly doesn't sound like he did just a few years ago in college so things are not always what they seem. Maybe, just maybe, you want to, well, I don't know, be in the business of electing people who are real with you, people who are honest with you, people who are comfortable in their own skin, you know, that sort of thing. For all their faults, most politicians, they lie to you. But who they are is who the Adam Schiff is a horrible person at home, just like he's a horrible person in Congress. Eric Swalwell is not suddenly smart when he walks in the front door of his home back in California. You go, oh, man, it is a relief to be out of the public eye where I no longer have to act like a bumbling idiot. And I can sit here and work on this theoretical physics hobby of mine. No, Eric Swalwell is just as dumb at home as he is on MSNBC. He truly is. But every once in a while you get the people who are just fakes and frauds. Actually, along the line of fakes and frauds, I want to play I don't. I don't get why people, and very few people do now, but watch like Stephen Colbert. Even if you're a leftist, it can't be funny. And at night, I don't know what you know, I'm going to bed, I'm going to put something on the TV. What I really want to watch on TV is something that will wildly piss me off. And you go, huh, that's, uh, doesn't really seem like a good, good way to get some rest, but okay, if that's what you want to do, that seems to be what Colbert is designed to do. What you really need right before sleep is high blood pressure. Uh, but that's, what it, it's just a nonstop, wine session about how everything evil is Republican and now Republicans are everything evil. Well, he sat on... Okay, if that's your stick, that's your stick, I guess. That's that's the reason you're being beaten by Greg Gutfeld on <laughs> cable. But okay. But he also has the quality of guests that you sit there and you go, well, nobody wants to watch Don Lemon on CNN. Nobody's watching Jake Tapper on CNN. But... If we put them on CBS at late night, they'll bring their considerable lack of audience with them. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And then now, along those lines, he's had cabinet secretaries on where you're sitting there going, who the hell wants to sit and watch an interview on a comedy show with a cabinet secretary? Who, who cares about a cabinet? What's funny is you could just have uh, Pete Buttigieg on and do a big interview with Pete Buttigieg on the show and then go... To a man, and go in the audience and go, who is the Secretary of Transportation? They go, I don't know. Um, B.F. Goodrich? I'm not sure. Because it doesn't, 
make any difference. Well, he's got, you want to talk about how localized and how worthless Colbert has become. He's now had every Democrat who's announced their candidacy for the soon-to-be-vacated Senate seat in California, which is, it's going to be a Democrat. It's, there's no question about it. There's no Republican going to sneak in there. Dianne Feinstein is calling it a day, and she will be replaced by another Democrat. And so he's had on Adam Schiff. He's had on, uh, I can't even remember all the other ones. But he had on Katie Porter last night. Katie Porter is a uh, just a gross person. It's, I'm not making a weight joke about her. She's just a gross person. She's one of those people who exploits her kids all the time. My children are doing this, that, and like they're the people who make up this. Like Eric Swalwell will write up a uh, series of tweets. Where my uh, three-year-old came over and said, why is it that we have economic injustice? And like Your three-year-old didn't say anything like that. Your three-year-old is crying because he can't find his cat boy doll, all right? That's not kids. That's what a three-year-old does. But they lie about their kids all the time because they lie about everything all the time. Listen to Katie Porter whine. First of all, she makes a joke about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, about how hard it is to work with Marjorie Taylor, go to work with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And it's clear that Katie Porter does have difficulty working with people she dislikes and she buries her feelings in food, and that's okay. I'm not value judging her, I'm just saying. <laughs> but anyway, she then goes on to talk about why it is people just don't like members of Congress. Why don't they like sweet, sweet, nourishing members of Congress? And of course, she gets it all wrong. I think there's this effort in politics to try to pretend that that Congress is glamorous and, and we are powerful and it's all this, you know, really wonderful, amazing things. And the, the truth is, it's like you're hot, you're late, you're sweaty, you don't know what's going on, you're flying back and forth. And I think we should be more honest with the American people about Congress is a mess. And that's because democracy is kind of supposed to be messy. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But what's not okay is lying to the American people about it and pretending that it's all easy and it's all cut and dried. Because the truth is, it's hard. It is hard to go to work every day with Marjorie Taylor Greene as a colleague. <laughs> Just find a different cubicle, a different job. Right. It's hard to commute mm -hmm. 3,000 miles right. to your job, right? It's hard to work in, a, in an industry that is where, you know, before I was a politician, I was a professor, and I actually used to be respected yeah. in my job. And I think one of the things the book tries to grapple with is a longstanding fact. It's true when Democrats are in power. It's true when Republicans are in power. Congress has about the same popularity as the American cockroach. And I think we should think about why is that? Why don't people like us? Why don't people trust us? And I think a lot of it is because we're not straight with them about what it's really like, about why it's hard, about what the challenges are, um, and about what we can do about it. <laughs> yeah, we're not telling people why it's hard for us to do our jobs. No, the American people, maybe they don't realize it. The American people, maybe they don't realize it. But the reason that... Congress routinely, regardless of who's in power, pulls just this side of toenail fungus is because they are terrible at their job. They do try to do 
as much as humanly possible. They try to do more and more and more. And they always claim, look, we're going to solve this problem, when realistically they often, more often than not, are the reason for that problem. They are the cause of said problem. And so their fixing of it tends to make things significantly worse. Also, there is still as few of us as there may be, and thanks to the education system, there are still a bunch of the American people who understand what the role of the federal government is, who understand the basics of the Constitution, and they look at what the politicians of both parties often try to do, and they say, that does not jive with anything remotely related to what the powers of our government are supposed to be, what the responsibilities of our government are supposed to be. The approval rating of Congress and the esteem of Congress is so low, Katie Porter, because people like you are in it. Is that that rude to say? People like you are in it. The condescending, lying frauds who want to find meaning externally in your lives because you have none in your life. It's so hard to commute 3,000 miles to a job. Then why are you running for another job that requires that exact same commute? The world will go on. The country will go on just fine without you. You don't really believe that, though. That's the problem. You believe, like most politicians believe, the country can't survive without you. Once you realize that, you start to see maybe why all of you politicians, regardless of party, are held in such low esteem. You think? Nah, you don't think. That's the problem. Well, you got Katie Porter running around talking to Stephen Colbert. You got Joe Biden running around talking to the people of Ireland. I apologize to the people of Ireland unreservedly for sending Joe Biden over. It's the 25th anniversary of the, uh, I forget what, the, the Good Friday Accords where they ended the fighting between the Catholics and the Protestants, which if you've ever been to Belfast, Look, I love Ireland. There's, uh, it's most of my favorite places on earth are in Ireland, city-wise, including my favorite restaurant, which is called the Bank. God, the Bank on uh, Tavern Green or something like that. So good, so good. But um, God, I hope it survived COVID. Anyway. One of the worst places, not worst, that's too harsh, but most depressing places I've ever been is Belfast, Northern Ireland. Now, I get it that uh, it it was a rainy day when we were there. We took a day trip from Dublin, which is awesome, to, to Northern Ireland, to Belfast, which is not awesome. So it was already a dreary day, but it was dreary, and then it was depressing. If, even if it were bright and sunny, I can't imagine it were depressing because... It was the Catholic section and the Protestant section were very much segregated. I imagine what it was like uh, going there and going to the neighborhoods. It was a lot like what it was like growing up in the Democrat-segregated South. 
You got the white neighborhoods and the black neighborhoods and they don't want you to mix and they don't want you near each other and don't make eye contact and don't do this and don't do that. Learn your place. The Catholics and the Protestants, they don't like each other. And there are all of these mural, I forget, was it 1736 or whatever? There was a great scene in Train Spotting 2, which I get it. It's set in Scotland, but it's the same sort of thing. Where it's 1736 or something like that, or 1636 or something, where um, the final battle, William the Orange won, or I don't know English history, don't really care. But it was when the Protestants took over and the Catholics lost power and the, the Protestants started screwing over the Catholics. And it led to all the troubles, as they say, where they were fighting each other and blowing each other up and everything. About a, not a dime's worth of difference. There's not that much big a difference between Catholicism and Protestantism, but whatever. People, regardless of uh, skin color, regardless of education, regardless of uh, anything, will find creative ways to kill each other. That's why you sit there and you look at this country and you go, well, we're never going to have a civil war. We're not going to do this. We're not going to... Don't put anything past it. The, de- the way the Democrats segregate people, the way that Democrats manipulate people, the way the Democrats divide people and turn them against each other, they're trying to get something going or get right to that point. They're playing with fire and sooner or later something's going to get burned and it's going to be a problem. Um, but... Throughout Northern Ireland, whatever year, by the way, the, the, the final battle was, in Train Spotting 2, the, they were stealing people's wallets. And they're about probably half of them. Their pin code was 1690 or whatever the, the year was that they entered. It was kind of funny. But if you're driving around Belfast, you see all these murals in the sides of houses that commemorate that battle. I don't know which side they're on because both the Catholic and the Protestant neighborhoods have um, have these murals for sixteen. I think it might be sixteen ninety. They're held prisoner by it. Sixteen ninety. Oh, it was great because we finally rid the world of those Catholics in power. Sixteen ninety is terrible because the Protestants took over and started oppressing us. Whatever it is. They're kind of obsessed with that. But there's also Bobby Seale, I think his name is, some guy. There's a bunch of protesters, IRA members. I think it was a guy named Bobby Seale who starved himself to death, Um, which, you know, you got to admire the commitment, I guess. But he went on a hunger strike, and it lasted like 80-some-odd days. Anyway, he ended up dying from it, refusing to eat. And that guy's a martyr. And it happened in the early 70s. And there is murals of him all over the place. There's murals of the British suck. And there's all over the sides of houses, people have painted these murals. And it's like dreary. And there's a wall right down the middle of this neighborhood that separates the Catholic and the Protestant neighborhoods. Because they used to shoot at each other, used to throw rocks at each other, used to throw bombs at each other. And they divided it. And they go, all right, well, this will stop it. Now, it's been 25 years. And when we were there, I don't know, five years ago? No, yeah, maybe six years ago. I think the wife was pregnant. I don't know if we went to Northern Ireland that time or later or the first time. But whatever it is, you uh, 
they're talking about how they're going to start bringing that wall down soon. And they're afraid that the troubles will return. Because 25 years of peace, 25 years of, you know, there are gates in the wall. You can drive around the wall, but there's just a wall there. It's the most bizarre thing. But they're ready. They're afraid that they're going to be ready to kill each other again. It's the dumbest thing. People are always easily manipulated. The seriousness of the situation cannot be overstated how easily manipulated human beings can be. And a president of the United States with their mental faculties could have made this point as they get ready. I think it is soon that they're going to be taking that wall down because of the anniversary and everything. A president of the United States who knew what the hell was going on, who wasn't a complete moron, would have been able to make this point and do so with a writing staff of professionals in an articulate way that maybe resonated with people. Instead, we get a bumbling idiot who just wants to go to Ireland and bring his crack-smoking son with him. Because why? I don't know. Why is Hunter Biden going to Ireland? He's going to Ireland because I imagine... Look, Ireland has the lowest tax rate of all EU countries. The headquarters for almost every tech company, Facebook, Twitter, for Europe is in Dublin. It's the Republic of Ireland that has the low taxes, not the not Northern Ireland. And I assume Hunter is there just like he accompanied his father to China to try and stoke up some business for himself, because why not? Look, just because dad is president and people might be watching doesn't mean that daddy don't need a new pair of shoes, right? He's selling ridiculously overpriced paint by numbers. Why? Why wouldn't he continue to... And that isn't going to be enough. That that barely One painting barely pays the rent in the houses that he rents for a month. $20,000, $30,000 a month and for these mansions he's renting. He's got to drum up some more business. Also, you sit there and you go, well, that would be career suicide. Why the hell would anybody... Like, uh, Joe Biden, if that was going on, that would be the end of it. My God. Why would anybody think that? Why would anybody think that? So, yeah, we've got a situation where the President of the United States is now over there. Bringing his crack-smoking son with him to drum up business probably. Can't, you know, if you were... Uh, if Hunter Biden were 15... I'd understand bringing him around. You go, oh, you want him to witness history, right? You, you, how many opportunities are you going to get to witness history? You want to bring him to witness history. But he's in his 50s now, isn't he? It's like, that's, you don't waste taxpayer. Your kid doesn't need to be there to witness history, especially when you're like ignoring the, um, uh, the illegitimate grandchild of your son. You know, you talk about, well, we're a close-knit family. We want Hunter to be there because blah, 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 blah. You're not that close-knit. You've never once acknowledged the existence of his illegitimate child with the uh, stripper. So uh, how much could you really care about Biden's? Anyway, an opportunity to really sort of show leadership on the world stage at a time when, frankly, the world could need some demonstrated leadership, even just rhetorically on the world stage by the United States of America. And we get Joe Biden over there. China's getting ready to invade Taiwan. Russia is, uh, there was a report today, as a matter of fact, 
Because you, you sit there and you think, well, if you just watch the news, you'd go, my God, Ukraine is kicking the ever-loving crap out of Russia. This is amazing. This is awesome. Can you believe this is happening? No. Well, there's a report now. Now, it's, take it for what it's worth. It's Seymour Hershey. is a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, et cetera, et cetera. That's not really exactly a bragging point, but it is a fact, so I put it out there. He is reporting that Zelensky, St. Zelensky, I think you have to call him St. Zelensky, and his generals are buying discounted diesel fuel from Russia and taking a skim. We're giving them a ton of money. And uh, their supply, they go, well, I could pay 10 bucks for whatever barrel for diesel fuel here, but I can get it from Russia for 7 bucks a barrel, and there's 3 bucks a barrel different. Uh, all right, we'll take it from our enemy. Give our Because en- ultimately, Ukraine is one of the most corrupt places on Earth. I don't know if this will pan out. It'll be interesting to see as more... Uh, Journalists maybe look into it, but Seymour Hirsch was the one who reported on the United States having blown up the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline, and the media didn't bother to report on that either, so who, who the hell knows? But it's very interesting at a time when the world needs strong leadership from the United States, they're not getting it. Emmanuel Macron in France, God bless him. He's stepping up to try and fill the void. Make no mistake, there is a void as our enemies move to end the United States dollar as the world reserve currency, which will screw us over in more ways than I can articulate here. Um, You'd think an opportunity to be on the world stage and talk about the uh, values of the United States and the importance of the United States and everything that moral leadership should be. Granted, we're dealing with an immoral person in Joe Biden, but still, as the president of the United Joe Biden, the man, is awful. The president of the United States is still a position of moral authority. Instead, you get Joe Biden over there confused. Confused how, Derek? Well, yeah. He's giving a talk, he's giving a speech, he won't take any questions, but he's giving a talk, giving a speech, and he goes on to talk about how his office, the Oval Office, is in the United States Capitol. Now, granted, he spent a lot of time, almost 40 years of his life, in the United States Capitol as a senator from Delaware, And so he had an office over there for a very long time. Everybody will make a mistake every now and then, but people who are of sound mind recognize that they make a mistake and correct themselves. It is my mother, when I was doing something that would get her uh, ire up, would run through the list of my siblings in birth order before she got to me and with my name. Derek, that was it. That was my name. And once she started stuttering through the first syllable, uh, or first half syllable of all of everybody else's first names, I knew that I was in trouble. I knew that I had done it. I had found as far as I could go, safely without punishment. And that was it. Or I'd made her laugh. She did the same thing when I made her laugh. But that was just the, the way of the world. She recognized... 
no matter how old she got, she recognized after half a syllable that that was not the person she was doing. Nope, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. I do it now. I got two kids. She had five. I still go like, which one am I talking to? And I'll call them the, or start to call them the, by the wrong name. But I correct it. I stop it. I see it coming. Joe Biden doesn't. That's the real problem. Here is Joe Biden not recognizing that his, that the Oval Office is not in the United States Capitol. From today, by the way. As a matter of fact, as you walk into my office in the, in the Oval Office in the United States Capitol, guess what? You know who founded and designed and built the White House? An Irishman. An Irish. No, not, not a joke. Not a joke. Uh, you are a joke, Joe. Yeah, you, you are. I love it. An Irishman. I don't... At, at a point when he is on the world stage and could do or say things that are inspirational, to really sort of, I don't know, matter as president, his default position is always what it's always been, pander. You know, the White House was designed by an Irishman. Oh, really? That That's kind of worthless, a bit of... Inf- oh, you know what? We were going to start killing each other again over our minor religious differences, but now that we know that somebody who uh, abandoned our country 250 years ago for greener pastures, found work for a while. Let's uh, let's just abandon that and, and that plan and, and get drunk or something. Like, honest to God, where did, what is it? You're talking if you're talking to a group of kindergartners, and that's really how Democrats are. If you're talking to a group of kindergartners, you say something like that. Oh, I don't know where do we do. You have Irish where we are. Yeah, we do have Irish where we are. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the White House there was was designed by one of your fellow countrymen. So, you know, I don't know what the abject lesson is. You too can grow up to become an architect 2,000 miles away. Not here, but someplace else. <laughs> I, I still don't know how it is, what it is. It's, it's the, the verbal equivalent of patting somebody on the head and giving them a lollipop. There you go. You're a good boy. You guys, you're not, you're not worthless. You're not worthless. You designed the White House. It's a bizarre form of collectivism. Like, I, well, one Irish guy did something, so therefore all you Irish people did. You know, every single one of you dumb mix might as well have designed the White House. Am I right? That's what would be the next... If Joe were allowed to go off script, that's the kind of thing that he would, would say. Like, that doesn't really matter. Ah, oh, it does matter. How does it matter? Uh, it just goes to show you that uh, you can... Do anything. We already knew we could do anything. We we live in 2023. We look around. They also have the added benefit over in Ireland of not having idiot Democrats telling them they'll never get ahead, that the system is rigged against them, and they shouldn't even try. So they inherently recognize that they could do anything. They don't really, a lot of them don't want to. Most people don't want to. But they'll never, what they'll never have is a crack-smoking, hooker-addicted, son whose main pastime is bilking 
money for which he's not qualified from for our enemy from our enemies in exchange for god knows what whilst uh, checking off every weird german fetish porn website category option with various eastern european trafficked prostitutes they probably won't have that show that's that domain is yours congratulations mr president now I want to shift their gears. I've got a, a exceedingly long... I don't play long clips very often. I, I guess I say that now that I hear it coming out of my mouth more often than I realize I do, but I still very often... Very broad term. I don't play long clips a lot. But this clip is one of those things where I could have either cut it up to probably five different ones or... Leave it all in one long one and let the clip do the work. There are a lot of people out there in the business who can't let the audio do the work for them. And I am not one of them. I certainly have my say, but when the audio... You don't pull out the wedge for a tap and putt. You don't pull out the driver for a tap and putt. You, uh, you just tap it in, or most times just pick it up. Like, this is so obvious. It's almost a cheap shot to take. But there was an argument, I guess it was technically an interview yesterday, between Elon Musk and a guy who works for the BBC. Uh, technically, the guy who works for the BBC has a job title. He's a reporter. But, you know, it, when you hear this exchange, you will realize that the term journalist has no meaning. Not anymore. It, it has no meaning anymore. The so-called journalist at the BBC is a guy named James Clayton. And what's really funny is James Clayton, in his he's doing a Twitter Spaces interview for the BBC. Apparently it'll air edited on the BBC Today, but it aired unedited on Twitter. Elon Musk insisted on it on Twitter Spaces, which is great because... You sit down for an hour-long interview with somebody. This is the reason I refused to go on The Daily Show, because it was always for packages. Three times I, I refused to go on The Daily Show. Because they're like, hey, you wrote this thing. Uh, we'd like to talk to you about it. This is back when Jon Stewart was on. And uh, I said, yeah, no, I'm not interested. Like, what? They're just so used to people going, I'll kill everybody in this room to get on The Daily Show. And I'm like, I don't really want to be on TV. I don't really care about that. Uh, especially... Like, it was a recorded a package. One of their fake correspondents was going to sit down with you and interview you for 45 minutes, and then they were going to use 45 seconds of it in whatever context they saw fit for the purposes of comedy. That's fine. They're a comedy show, or at least used to be. Uh, I understood that, but I'm not willing to help the left, even if it feeds my ego. Sorry, my ego ain't that hungry. So I passed on it every time. Elon Musk has learned the same lessons that uh, most conservatives, sadly, actually not very many conservatives have learned. But uh, now they don't, nobody, only conservative media talks to conservatives, only liberal media talks to liberals. It's really kind of a pathetic state of things. But the uh, tech reporter, James Clayton, agreed to these terms, and we got the raw audio of it. 
James Clayton, by the way, describes himself as BBC North America tech reporter. I try to explain tech clearly and simply. <laughs> I try to explain tech clearly and simply. With that in mind, I want you to listen to this exchange between Elon Musk and James Clayton of the BBC, because James Clayton of the BBC is a walking talking point of the Democrat Party, the progressive movement, the left, whatever you want to call it. And as such, his position is that hate speech is on the rise. Hate speech is on the... Hate speech is everywhere, especially now that Elon Musk has removed safeguards. See, Elon Musk has embraced freedom of speech. He hasn't fully embraced changing Twitter completely because the throttles and things like that on certain accounts, mine included, are still there. It's tough to see my tweets unless you actively seek them out. But it is uh, hopefully going to change. And people who were once suspended for saying things that offended various favored liberal communities are now reinstated and able to speak their minds. So this means that there's got to be hate speech. This is the common talking point. There's hate speech all over Twitter now. Because Elon Musk is some sort of right-winger, they say. He's not. He's a left-winger. But he just happens to agree on the concept of free speech, which is foreign to them. Like I say, the 99.9% uh, .9 friend is the 100% enemy of the left. You're either fully on board or they'll destroy you. So James Clayton says, what about all this hate speech? And Elon Musk does what is really the, throws the monkey wrench in the gears of liberalism every time it's tried. He asks for specifics. He asks for specifics. They make these broad generalizations, and they usually, they're used to making them, well, they make it, you tell Rachel Maddow and the, or the gang on Morning Joe, hate speech is on the rise on Twitter since, since, uh, Donald Trump was allowed back on even though he doesn't tweet and Elon Musk took over and he let all these right-wingers speak again and they all go, oh yeah, I hate speech. Hate, <laughs> I hate hate speech. Hate speech is everywhere. Nobody goes, well, what do you mean by that? Elon Musk does in this exchange and this guy is caught with his pants down. It is something to behold. So I decided not to butcher it. I decided to leave it the way you would find it in nature because who needs to repaint the Mona Lisa? In Sachs that used to be in content moderation. And, and, and we've spoken to people very recently who were involved in moderation. And they just say they just, there's not enough people to police this stuff, particularly around, um, particularly around hate speech um, in the company. Do, do, is that well, something that you want to address? Talking about? I mean, you use Twitter. Right. Do you see a rise in hate speech? I mean, I, but just a personal anecdote. Like, what do you do? I don't. Personally, my uh, for you, I would see I get I get more of that kind of content. Yeah, personally, but I, I'm not going to talk to talk to the rest of for, for the rest of Twitter. So you see more hate speech personally. I would say I would see more hateful content in that in that content moment. you don't like or or hateful. What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will solicit a, a reaction to something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of, those kinds of things. So you think if I, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, I'm not, you're I'm not saying anything. I'm well, saying... I'm just curious. What you, I'm, I'm trying to say what you mean by hateful con content. And I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and, if, and you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful. 
content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me, you've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more. It, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's why I'm asking for examples. Can right? You, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't. I, I, honestly, you I don't can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why. Because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore. Because I, I just don't particularly like it. And actually, a lot of people, a lot of people are quite similar. I, I, I only, well, I only well, look at my, my followers. You said you've following. seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example. Not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks. And I, well, I then how did you see that hateful content? content? Because I've been, I've been using, I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen that you for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right, and, and you I, can't I, give us a more. And, and, and I'm saying, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con- content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well, that's a false. No, what I claimed. Slide. What? No, no. What I claimed was. Uh, there are many uh, organizations that say that that kind of information is on the rise. Now, whether whether it has on my feed or example. not, I mean, I, right, and Literally, you can look at someone like the, the uh, Strategic Dialogue uh, Institute in the, in the UK, they will say that. So you, they, look, people will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example. You can name one. Right, and as, as I've already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, how let, do you know? But I don't think this is getting anywhere. You literally said you experience more hateful content and then couldn't name a single example. Right, and as I said, I that's absurd. I haven't, I haven't actually looked at that feed. Then how would you know this hateful content? Because I'm saying that's what I saw a few weeks ago. I can't give you an exact example. Let's move on. We have, we only have a certain amount of time. <laughs> Just love uh, that you've got rid of so many of the content moderators. Uh, you know, uh, uh, people who say that there's a rise in hate speech everywhere. Hate speech. Like what? Well, I tell you, I've seen a lot of hate speech up there. This is terrible. Hate, hate. Everywhere. Here a hate, there a hate. Everywhere a hate, hate. Old MacDonald's farm is a, is a hate fest. Okay, what, what an example. Well, I... <laughs> you see, <laughs> I didn't expect this to be the Spanish Inquisition. Wait a second, dude. You're just accused of, you know, of harboring hate. What is hate speech? Well, there's disagreeable things that have come my way that uh, I, I find quite absurd. Why, well, the other day I nearly spilled my tea, Pinky, out that I was uh, having in honor of the Queen. And I saw somebody say, You, sir, are not a woman. You are a man. And I thought, My goodness, what has the world come to? And that is the sort of hate speech, sir, that I see prevalent on your website. Oh, okay. So you are offended and you want that banned. That should be banned. That should be policed. Elon Musk nailed this guy. Nailed this guy six ways from Sunday. And he had. Now, this is supposedly a reporter. He ends up citing eventually one left wing organization over in the UK because that's all they are. When I tell you that these people live in an echo chamber where they do not, it's not dissent. They don't hear dissent. They don't hear dissent. Dissent doesn't get in, on, in the zip code. They don't hear disagreements. There's nobody. It, it is. Watch MSNBC. Take a moment. And flip on Morning Joe when you get it, or just watch any of the clips that circulate. Even they circulate them. It's funny that they put these out there like this is this is what they want the world to know about it. And you sit there and you go, okay, there's like 17 boxes up there of so-called journalists, and they're all in agreement. They're all in, nobody's going. Wait a second. No, I don't think it, to the extent that any of them go. Wait a second. I take issue with what you said. 
it is maybe somebody goes, boy, I, I hate conservatives, but I don't think every single one of them are Hitler. And somebody will go, Michael Steele will chime in and go, now, hold on a second. Every single one of them. What do you mean? Every single one of them are Hitler. I take dis, I take issue with it. And the other person will go, no, I was only kidding. I, obviously, they're all Hitler. And that would be the level of disagreement you would get on MSNBC. Now, it's granted, it's not much better over on Fox. But they do actually have liberal reporters on Fox. And you can tell, you can watch the... Uh, the report on special report seems to be the only thing they ever actually have reporters on. And you can see, like, oh, this guy, this, all right, that little bit of a, or they're, they're making a concerted effort to present the liberal side in a favorable light. Maybe they don't believe it, but whatever. I imagine, sadly, if you want a job in media in general, you don't want Fox to be on your resume because you're not going to get an interview at MSNBC or NBC News. I, mean, I don't even know where you go from there, but you're just not. Whereas if you worked at CNN, you could get a job at Fox. You probably wouldn't take it because you'd never get another job in media again. But you could, you could get a job there if you wanted to. They hire liberals all the time, people who run it largely are to the left of center. It's not Roger Ailes' Fox News anymore. Juan Williams is certainly no conservative, and he's no fake liberal either. He's not a Michael Steele. He's not a Nicole Wallace, where they're like, I was a, I was a Republican, and now I'm an independent. Really? What do you disagree with Democrats on? Well, I don't know. What do you? Uh, what conservative positions do you still hold? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say any, but still, they they don't exist. James Carville famously said about Paula Jones, uh, calling her white trash. You drag a hundred dollar bill through a trailer park, and this is what you get. We well, dra- it. It takes many more zeros than a $100 bill, but you drag that through the green rooms in Washington, D.C., and the campaign headquarters is, and wherever it is, that nominable, nominal uh, non-true conservatives with an R after their name congregate, and you will get a ton of them. You will get a ton of them. If you've ever dragged a, a shrimp carcass on a hook on a line from like the Gulf of Mexico you reel that sucker in you'll see crabs you'll see fish chasing it that's Democrats well Republican Democrats chasing paychecks from MSNBC and CNN and that's where they get their news well everybody I know says Twitter's gotten much worse there's a lot more hate crime how well, I don't know. A group whose makes its name and makes its living crying hate crime said it. So, of course, they would. We, we were just talking at a cocktail party that you would not be invited into because we spent a lot of time complaining about how evil you are, etc., etc. This Blinders is one way to put it. But it's amazing the world you can construct for yourself, and you can really, truly believe it. And it is also amazing, equally amazing, if not more so amazing, how easily 
that world you've constructed yourself and the leftists have constructed for themselves comes crumbling down with a simple request for proof. What's funny is the guy was so ill-prepared, meaning he is so un- infrequently in touch and in the orbit of anybody who would dare disagree with him that he couldn't come up with a single example. He could have easily, easily made one up and nobody would have known, but he's, the concept was so foreign to him. That's what I find the funniest thing about it. But he's a BBC journalist. He's probably got a wall full of awards and will get even more for this. So I want to play you, <clears throat> shift gears and play you something. Because you sit there and you think, well, it's it's not, I get it. Because I get your emails and I get your notes and I see the comments on my columns and things like that and responses to some of my tweets. I check that less frequently, but I do check it and see your DMs. And I, um, the hell in a handbasket thing. Now, we're I definitely believe we're going to a hell in a handbasket. I'm not entirely committed to the idea that we're already, you know, we're right there yet. But there is an impression that the news can give you that I want to tweak and I want to correct that it's not completely wrong because a committed group, a committed group, a small group of people can do a lot of damage, irreversible damage to a country, to a culture, to a society, to people, to individuals, whatever it is. They can do a lot of damage. They absolutely can. So I don't want to downplay that. But the vast majority of people are not insane leftists, even in academia. Now, there a lot of them are leftists, but most of them don't care. Most of them don't care. You see these surveys all the time. 97% of this faculty's political contributions went to Democrats, and only 3% went to Republicans. That's an interesting statistic that, doesn't really tell you all that much about them. It, it Implicit in there is that there are a lot of liberals in academia, and there are a lot of liberals in academia, but that is not... See, you need to know the size of the pool, right? If you have a college with 100 professors and 97 of them gave to Democrats and three of them gave to Republicans, then you've got a, a real serious bias Program, uh, problem there at your university. However, if you have a university of a thousand professors and 97 of them gave to Democrats and three of them gave to Republicans, you still have 97% of the donations from your faculty going to Democrats and 3% only going to Republicans. But that doesn't tell you anything about the other 900 professors doesn't even tell you that there are 900, but doesn't tell you anything about what's left over. So you can see context matters. And I, you know, I say it all the time. If you control the unit of measure, you control everything. And there are conservative groups. Look, they do the Lord's work. I think they do great work exposing leftism in academia. And leftism certainly is prevalent. It is dominant in academia most most conservatives will go into real work you know but 
Um, <laughs> send all hate mail toward me. But the vast majority, I suspect, since we don't know and they don't, nobody keeps these records, of the people in academia don't give a damn one way or the other. They just try to live their lives. They're like most people. Most people will not donate to a political campaign, will not donate to uh, political will not, campaigns at all. So when you hear 97% of the donations go to it, it's interesting, and there certainly is a left-wing bias, no doubt about it. It is does not mean that 97% of the faculty at that university, because I've been jealous of that the first time as I heard that. I haven't thought about it really that much until now. But it doesn't mean that the vast majority of them are left-wing lunatics. They may well be, depending on the university. Like at Oberlin, you're going to get that. But it doesn't mean uniformly across the board. It is like when somebody gives you a statistic, a percentage rather than raw numbers. They're trying to hide something. 90% of the donations did that. 90% of them. Okay, well, how out of how many? They won't tell you. They won't tell you. Why? Because that doesn't make their case. 97% of scientists agree that climate change is out of how many? Well, out of about 200, and most of them were not climatologists. They were just people who work in various sciences. They have no expertise. And it's one survey that, you know, was a long time ago. And subsequent surveys have, have been more, even more selective about the participants and more secretive about their professions and so on and so forth. And they're also largely dependent on government grants related to climate change in order to keep their jobs and their livelihoods so they're not likely, they have a vested interest, shall we say. But yeah, no, they're never going to give you all that stuff. They'll just throw out raw numbers and go, oh, well, that there you go. Everybody agrees. Consensus met. That being said, there does appear to be a lot of, of lunatics teaching these days in colleges and in high school and in public schools too it's uh the libs of tiktok and the other one there's a lot of there's so many of them that there are now other people doing what libs of tiktok did just as effectively as libs of tiktok did you can't keep up with the supply they're churning out insanity, much like the uh, the chocolate scene in I Love Lucy. Everybody, no matter what your age, everybody's seen that thing where the conveyor belt's coming out with the chocolate. She's supposed to, I think she's supposed to pack them in boxes, but it's coming out too fast. She ends up shoving it in her mouth, shoving it down her shirt, shoving it in her pockets. She couldn't keep up with the supply that was coming out. That does seem to be the case in academia with lunacy not a majority but doesn't need to be a majority to do a damage the nazis were never a majority the communists were never a majority very few people joined the nazi party very few people joined the communist party a lot of people supported them and then ultimately everybody seemingly supported them because to not would mean death but that's you know technicality of history that Democrats don't want you to remember. That's why it brings us to this 
college professor at the University of West uh, at West Virginia University. This is a guy with it, it, it claims to be a woman. If you've ever seen the live action, I'm trying to think of a way to describe this person with uh, without being too rude. Eh, hell with it. This person, this guy, looks like a who from Whoville in the live-action Grinch movie. You can see that this person's in my Twitter feed, if you want to see what I'm talking about. It wasn't that long. It'd be up there from from uh, Wednesday. Um, he looks like a person, live-action person who from Whoville. The eyebrows, I don't understand. The like, I get people that you know sculpt their eyebrows or whatever. I don't get people who sculpt their eyebrows to be permanently surprised. Like you, you go to the threading lady and go, you know what? I uh, a lot of weird things that are unexpected happen in my life, and quite frankly, my forehead gets exhausted by having to raise my eyebrows all the time. So, could you give me something that takes that off the off the table for me? And actually, if you watch this this dude in the video. The eyebrows do move a little bit, although they are permanently up. They almost are like cat ears, these eyebrows, to that kind of point. But now that I'm looking at it, it's rather hypnotic. The uh, the forehead doesn't move. The forehead is wrinkle-free. It's like a drive-in movie screen. It's it's hypnotic. Wow, that must be some Botox. I don't know. Maybe it's not Botox. But whatever the case is, check out the video. It looks like a, a Who from Whoville. <laughs> I'm horrible. And um, something to behold. But listen to this person demand and insist that gender is a social construct and you can be and are, in fact, anything you wish to be. And all this level of insanity and realize that parents are spending and, and kids are going into debt thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for people like this to instruct them. For those of you who don't know me, I am a medical school professor specializing in molecular biology. I also have an extensive background in uh, gender studies and queer studies. The idea of sex as an immutable characteristic is a turf talking point. It's been around for decades, and it's been weaponized against trans women in particular in the fashion of, oh, but you will always be male and therefore invading female spaces. Sex as it pertains to humans is a construct. It is a set of... Spectrum variables with bimodal distribution that we draw an arbitrary set of boundaries around into two broad categories, but they are not immutable characteristics. Almost all of those characteristics can be changed through hormones or through surgery. This is literally an argument that gets trans women killed and is the thing that people are using to tell us that we can't change our birth certificates, right? Stop. And literally getting trans women killed and it is a social construct and you can do this that, and the other you can be whatever you want to be where do you come up with this person is a teaches biology in medical school this person shouldn't be anywhere near they should be in a hospital but you know a mental hospital it's a society and a social construct and we're doing this that and the other you're a biology professor in a medical school you have to sit there and go, this is, uh, you, you feel like you're being pranked. 
you feel like you're being punked, but you're not. These people are real. And these people are insistent. And these people have people who will go to the mattresses defending them. They have people who will go, oh, this is an outrage. I absolutely, trans women are women. You and your penis absolutely do have to worry about ovarian cancer. You should be screened for ovarian cancer. What about prostate cancer? Well, as any good woman will tell you, you've got to be also screened for prostate cancer too. Testicular cancer too. Watch out for that one too, ladies. It's insane, isn't it? Yet this is what one half of the political spectrum embraces. This is what one half of the political spectrum in the United States of America insists is real. How do you do how how does that happen? Where the hell does that come from? What the hell when did this and it's the insistence of insanity. Meanwhile, we have another tra- we had what? The uh, the trans killer in Tennessee. We had the pronoun killer in Knoxville. I think it was Louisville, Kentucky. And then this from Andy No at uh, Post Millennial. Andy No, everybody knows Andy No. The Post Millennial can exclusively report that the suspect in the Easter Sunday stabbing murder of a Portland cab driver is a trans person with a history of threatening behavior, huh? Moses Jacob Lopez, who presents as a woman and appears to have addressed uh, both addresses in both Portland and Coos Bay, has been charged with second-degree murder and unlawful use of a weapon. The deceased victim, who has not been named, was identified by Radio City Cab as one of its veteran drivers. Lopez allegedly stabbed him to death during the taxi ride. LGBTQ plus activist. Now, it's funny because, they, well, they're an activist for the Alphabet Mafia. They're not really, though. They're, they're, they're an activist for a letter in the alphabet. One letter. It's the T activist. That's the problem. I don't think the, the uh, L and the G and even the B, like, well, let's go to a, a pride. Pro- no, no, we all must bow down to the T. Why would you do that? They don't want to go to a tea protest most of the time. They don't. There's no kinship there. Talk to gay people, you know. You're not going to find a whole bunch of, well, you know what, I really, I will fight wholeheartedly for my male brethren to tuck it back and demand to be a woman. Like, that doesn't have anything to do with it, right? Days before the brutal uh, LGBTQ activist Moses Jacob Lopez is accused of stabbing a Portland cab driver to death on Easter Sunday. Days before the brutal stabbing murder in southeast Portland, the 30-year-old allegedly threatened another person with a weapon but was quickly released without bail. Again, these Democrats, they love criminals. It's criminal. The only crime in liberalism is keeping criminals away from their victims. You know, most people get choked up when somebody from the military shows up unexpectedly and like take the mask off and like, oh, it's dad or mom. And, oh, and the kids come running in. People get choked up. They want to get the left gets choked up when a perpetrator is reunited with their potential victims. Oh, look at him. He's a thank God for cashless bail. I was afraid that this guy who beat holy hell out of that Asian woman was going to have to spend more than two hours in prison. But, you know, 
They've really streamlined the fingerprinting and photographing process, so now they can be reunited to go back about their business. Hmm. Days before the brutal murdering, blah, 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 30 are quickly released. On April 3rd, Lopez was charged with two felony counts of unlawful use of a weapon and two counts of menacing in Coos County, Oregon, after missing a court hearing on October uh, or on April 6th. A warrant was issued for his arrest three days before he allegedly went on to commit murder. Now, the thing is, and Andy knows, if you want to see this, it's in my Twitter feed again. And, you know, has posted pictures of this person. And he says, police have not released any information about the possible motive behind the trans person accused of suddenly stabbing a taxi driver to death on Easter Sunday. But given the nature of the attack and threats of violence from trans activists, their slogans are particularly disturbing. And it's a whole bunch of Democrats, including the uh, lieutenant governor of the state of Minnesota, Peggy Flanagan. There's Peggy Flanagan wearing a jacket and she's opening it up like a flasher, a big smile on her face. And it says, protect trans kids. And it says, protect. And then there's a big, long knife. And then it says, trans. And then there's a flower. And then it says, kids. Protect trans kids by any means necessary, right? And one of the very popular things around social media by leftist activists is this idea of, well, you can see it in my tweet, every day is trans vengeance day. And that comes with a hand with a knife in it. An image, it's a graphic on these t-shirts. These people wear these t-shirts these people are threatening normal americans threatening them and they're killing us too by the way if you put a shirt up there that says uh, there are only two genders you'd probably get banned on uh, amazon you wouldn't be able to sell that it'd be hate crime how dare you try to sell that on here we'll take your hate someplace else and smoke it go away if you say men are men and women are women, or Dylan, we put a Dylan Mulvaney is a man shirt up there. I'm surprised they haven't actually banned Austin Powers. That's a man, baby. But you can find Protect Trans Kids t-shirts with knives on them for sale on Amazon. No problem whatsoever. You could probably find a t-shirt memorializing the murderer of six people at a Christian school in Nashville. Because why? Because that's who Democrats favor. That's what Democrats support. It's really what Democrats have become. It's, well, maybe I should put it another way they'd understand. It's what Democrats have transitioned into. Yeah, sad but true. Uh, before we run out of time for today, I want to play you. Uh, just uh, the Democrats, I mean, hell, it works. It must work with some people. But they're going to really try to go with this, you don't know how good you've got it sort of argument. So I got Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, talking about how the, the economy is doing exceptionally well. On the economy, there are increasing reports and surveys around the U.S. that lending uh, is getting tighter following the recent banking stress. 
Uh, are you seeing evidence of that in the data, and do you agree with the IMF's assessment that a credit, that a credit crunch uh, increases the likelihood of a hard landing, whether in the U.S. or globally? So I've not really seen evidence at this stage suggesting a contraction in credit, although that is a possibility. Um, I believe our banking system remains strong and resilient. It has um, solid capital and liquidity. And the U.S. economy is obviously performing exceptionally well with continued solid uh, job creation, inflation gradually moving down, um, robust consumer spending. So I'm not anticipating a downturn in the economy. Yeah. Does that make you feel good? Speaking of trance, no, that's just mean. Yeah, you don't know how good you've got it. Things are great. Those of you out there struggling, tough. Good luck to you. Janet Yellen's doing good. That's enough for today, I think. We'll be back to do it again tomorrow because the insanity never stops. I appreciate you listening. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.